Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. And my friends, if you don't know that line, you are missing out on one of the greatest cult classic movies of all time, Prince's Bride. But I digress. It is also the subject of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul addresses a number of questions that he uh, obviously has received from this upstart baby church in Corinth. Here's what to remember. As Christians commit themselves to observing what God says about marriage, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb. So we should always ask what God created us for. And that gets us to episode 2162. And welcome to today's slice of our Monday through Saturday journey through the Bible in a year time together. And we read every single word of God's revelation of himself here and even the weird stuff. And hey, if you're new around here, uh, one of the things that you probably don't know is that our New Testament readings and our Old Testament readings are on different cycles. So they overlap differently every time around. And today, serendipitously, our New Testament chapter is this marriage chapter and overlaps with an Old Testament chapter in Leviticus regulating uh, talking about sexual relations. So I want you to, I want to begin with this little bit of commentary about Leviticus before we read the New Testament passage. Here we go. Quote, the need for God's people to be clearly different from the sinful and idolatrous dimensions of surrounding cultures is as powerfully taught in the New Testament and required of Christians as it was for Old Testament Israel. And there's a whole list of scriptures that we could point to in the New Testament. Continuing, indeed, the primary moral significance of Israel as a society is that they were created precisely to be a model of such distinctiveness within the contemporary cultural context of the ancient world. And as we observe those differences and the reasons for them, we are able to formulate ethical priorities and objectives for Christian living in the modern world. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, when you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you, because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. 
I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. To the married, I give this command, and not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest. Pause. Did you notice here that he just said, here is a command from God, and now he's going, okay, now here's me, Paul, weighing in. Interestingly, we as theologians now believe this is still inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning this is still good stuff. This is still the word of the Lord. But listen to this change, this shift. But I, Paul, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband, and husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision doesn't matter. And uncircumcision doesn't matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You? were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. So now, about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. I'm going to say this again, my friends. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they didn't own anything, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world, in its current form, is passing away 
I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward a virgin that he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He's not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiancée, will do well. So then he who marries his fiancée does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whoever she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. <laughs> that, my friends, is chapter 7, which is kind of long, and there's so much there, and I know, depending on your relationship with this Jesus thing, some of this could even just, you know, make you bristle a little bit. It's okay. Uh, seriously, this stuff runs against the grain of cultural thinking. And I would, I, I would encourage you, my friends, uh, along the lines of our theme today, as Christians commit themselves to observing and understanding and praying about what God says about marriage and sexuality, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb, but we should ask what God created us for. And you may even recall that when Jesus was asked about divorce in Matthew 18 or 19, uh, 19, I think it was, what did he do? He pointed people back to Genesis 1 and 2. He said, hey, in the beginning, it wasn't so. Here's what God's intent was. And the disorder and disease and death didn't come till later. Genesis chapter 3 and sin entered the world. And indeed, as we think about our Old Testament reading today, we shift into a new section of Leviticus that's really about uh, living, and importantly, not living like the pagans. Indeed, the primary moral significance of Israel as a society is that they were created precisely to be a model of such distinctiveness within the contemporary cultural context of the ancient world. God said, I chose you, and I'm going to reach the world through you. That's an important thing. So maybe with that in mind, here's Leviticus 18. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Don't follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live. And don't follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. Okay, now I'm going to pause right there, my friends. 
What did God say? Now, there's a specific time in history where that where we're at right now with the Israelites in this passage in Leviticus. There, everybody's camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is, I don't know, fifteen hundred or so BC. It's a specific point in history with a specific context, right? And God is giving His chosen people the law. Importantly. What have we, if you've been listening for any period of time over the last couple of months, you've heard me say grace came before the law, right? There's a specific something here, but what is God's heart? Why is God saying, keep my rules? He's saying, I designed you in a particular way and I want you to flourish, right? What happened to Genesis three? We said, we don't want to be blessed on your terms. God says, I want to bless you, but I'm the creator of the whole cosmos. I know it's good for you. And we said, we don't want to be blessed on your terms, right? Leviticus 18.5, keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. You with me? Continuing. You are not to come near any close relative for sexual intercourse. I am the Lord. You are not to violate the intimacy that belongs to your father and mother. She's your mother. You must not have sexual intercourse with her. You are not to have sex with your father's wife. She's your father's family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's, whether born at home or born elsewhere. You're not to have sex with her. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for they are your family. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your father's wife's daughter, who is adopted by your father. She's your sister. You're not to have sexual intercourse with your father's sister. She's your father's close relative. You're not to have sexual intercourse with your mother's sister. She's your mother's close relative. You are not to violate the intimacy that belongs to your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual intercourse. She's your aunt. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your daughter-in-law. She's your son's wife. You're not to have sex with her. You are not to have sexual intercourse with your brother's wife. She's your brother's family. You're not to have sexual intercourse with a woman and her daughter. You are not to have, you're not to marry her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter and have sex with her. They are close relatives. It is depraved. You are not to marry a woman as a rival to her sister and have sexual intercourse with her during her sister's lifetime. You are not to approach a woman during her menstrual impurity to have sexual intercourse with her. You're not to have sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife, defiling yourself with her. You're not to sack... Change of tone here. We're moving up in the world. Check this out now. You're not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire to Molech. Why? Do not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. My friends, what is God's... Keep my statutes and ordinances. You will live by them. You will flourish by them, right? Here's the context. And, oh, by the way, I want you to fill the world with God glorifiers. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. So what's the opposite? What's the pagan practice? We don't want to follow. You are not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire to Molech, which is a which was a particular... Um, Canaanite deity that where they would literally, you know, throw their kids into the fire at the foot of the idol. But why? Do not profane, the very next line, do not profane the name of your God. 
I am the Lord. He's not even calling it murder at this point. He's literally saying this is the highest level of affront to a God who wants life, who is life and goodness. Continuing, you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. You are not to have sexual intercourse with any animal defiling yourself with it. A woman is not to present herself to an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourself by any of these practices, for the nations I'm driving out before you have defiled themselves by all these things. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its iniquity. I'm just going to say that again, my friends. The land has become defiled. So, this is, if you want to look it up, Leviticus 18.25. The people's moral refuse has become a defiling of the planet. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its iniquity. And the land will vomit out its inhabitants. My friends, I'm just going to pause. I probably should just shut my trap, but I can't help myself today because... We are right to look at the at the world's uh, environmental mess and say, as stewards, what do we need to do to steward, to be good stewards of the land where God has put us? We should be careful, however, to ascribe the right cause. The ultimate cause, in a biblical sense, As we just read here in Leviticus 18, the rightful, the the cause of environmental mess is sin. Are you with me? And if you doubt me, go, it's Leviticus or it's Ezekiel 36 or 36 or 37, 34, maybe (laughs) it's the mid thirties of Ezekiel when God promises to the hills that he will redeem them, right? So when When Jesus' atonement is for all of creation, it's really powerful because we think of it as just, oh, my get-out-of-hell-free card because Jesus died for my sins. But Jesus' atonement was for literally the entirety of the cosmos. Okay, I'm going to finish this up so we can get home. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its iniquity, and the land will vomit out its inhabitants. But you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable acts, not the native or the alien who resides among you. For the people who were in the land prior to you have committed all these detestable acts and the land has become defiled. If you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. Any person who does any of these detestable practices is to be cut off from his people. You must keep my instruction to not do any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you so that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 18. All right, now I got to make one comment here. Did you notice here that the resident alien... uh, experiences the blessings but is also bound by the same laws 
right? So if and when you ever experience a social situation, I won't name any particular country, where they say, oh, we just need to let people in and they can bring in their customs and do whatever they want because that's their customs. That's not the biblical model. Resident aliens were invited into everything except the very highest form of temple worship. But they had to obey the laws of the land and pay the, pay the taxes. Same as everybody else. Crazy idea, huh? All right, I'm going to close with this. The actions that were described here uh, kind of fall into three categories. And I'm just going to call this out because there's this separation between holy and common. Right? Remember, remember that stuff? The actions described respectively in three categories. One, is, one was as profaning the name of your God. That is bringing disgrace on the reputation of Yahweh among the nations. The second descriptor was that it was detestable which is a term of strong disapproval in the Old Testament used for things that God hates or despises. And then the word perversion it was in a different translation. I forget what our translation today said. But catch this, because to be fair, um, our friends, and I mean that genuinely, our friends in the LGBTQ community Call this one of the clobber passages, right? Oh, see, right there. It's perverted. And, and yes, that is an English translation. The word literally is the word confusion. Ah, so what's the point? What does God want at the beginning of Leviticus 18? Life. What is the confusion? It's the unnatural mixing of what God created and intended to be separate. Male and female in and sex in the right way and in the right place brings life. Sex that doesn't bring life is not, is confusion. Are you with me? My friends, we all, we all need God's grace because we all fall short. And I just want us to look back and go, hey, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb when we observe and commit to what God says about marriage and sexuality. But at the end of the day, we should ask, what were we created for? I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.